Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined today by the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegians, Seth Engel, for our weekly Penn State football video. Seth, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think this weekend went about as we expected it to. Um, now we're back in the swing of things with, with uh, Big Ten play starting up this weekend, so ready to go. Yeah, absolutely going to be an interesting game this weekend. Just a reminder before we get started here, this show is brought to you every week by Voodoo Brewery and State College. We'll talk to you more about them in a little bit, but thank them for sponsoring this episode. Seth, the the topic this week I wanted to tackle was, you know, given that it was a 63-7 win against Delaware, not a lot I think you can take away from a game against an FCS opponent, um, you know, in terms of the big picture. I wanted to dive into something that Audrey Snyder, your colleague from The Athletic, noticed in her post that she posted after James Franklin's Tuesday news conference. Um, she, she brought up that he he gave some unsolicited praise to Katron Allen, the star Penn State running back, um, and that that's not usually something James Franklin really does. He more so, he'll praise the players that they get asked about, but usually you have to ask him, and, and he's not typically in the business of, of just throwing out a name um, for the sake of it, and that when he does, sometimes it can be construed as, um, you know, trying to keep a player in the fold. She noted he did it last year with Devin Ford before he ended up in the transfer portal. He's done it with some guys who've ended up losing starting quarterback battles in the past. Um, how do you think James Franklin is navigating the uh, having two star running backs and keeping them both happy uh, by naming them co-starters and um, trying to deploy them as equally as possible? Is, is that how sustainable is that model to you and how, how think, how well do you think James Franklin's doing at that? I mean, I think at the end of the day, the goal is to win as many football games as you can, you know, that that's James Franklin's goal for this year. It's the goal for every year. Um, and I think when you have two running backs who are potentially, you know, some of the best in the country, it is difficult to split those snaps and uh, have conversations with the two of them and say, okay, this is our plan and this is how we're going to do it. Um, but what Franklin, you know, told us after the game, I, and I think this this game was interesting because it really was the epitome of like this two running back system can work, you know, and they they can both build their stock. If Nick Singleton's rushing for three touchdowns, that's great. But Katron also Katron Allen also rushed for 103 and scored a touchdown himself. So you know that that kind of says a lot about the system they're running and that it can work and they can still get theirs. Um, but Franklin basically let us know that, you know, they've had conversations and, and both running backs, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are bought in to the, to the aspect that, you know, they're, they're both starting running backs and that's kind of how they view them. Um, and that's kind of just the way things are at the moment. Do you read anything into the fact that, you know, just snap count wise, Katron Allen's, I think 15 ahead of Nicholas Singleton, Nicholas Singleton get the, got the start against West Virginia, probably the tougher team, um, definitely the tougher team of the two. Um, do you think Do you think getting Catron Allen a lot of carries, especially this past weekend, was you know a, a function of saying, "Hey, we're, we're going to get you as many carries as we can when we can," even if you know Nick might be the. Do you think this is a one A one B situation? I guess is what I'm asking, and, and that they're going to take as many chances as they can to keep the one B happy against the Delaware or. Um, you know, maybe against in Illinois this weekend if they if they find a lead. And I'll ask you that question first, then I'm gonna have a follow up. I think it's similar to any 
question within a position group, like how we discussed tight ends last week and when they want to use them. You know, I think it really comes down to who they're matching up against, you know, how their defensive scheme is. Because Nick Singleton and Catron Allen are two very different running backs and two very different players to, to prepare for. Um, so Catron's kind of a bruiser. Um, he'll come right at you. I think if you look back at that touchdown, you know, he ran right up to that Delaware linebacker and basically punched him in the face um, with his forearm and then just walked into the end zone. Nick Singleton isn't doing that as much. You know, he, he'll dance around you and he's shifty. Um, he's the guy that'll probably break away for, you know, 70 or 80 yarder. Um, Katron, not as much. So I think the fact that they have completely different styles makes them dangerous. And I think it really depends who they're playing and how they want to present themselves on that first snap to really catch that opponent off guard. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. But I also think there's a lot of Penn state fans who just say, you know, if if you had to pick, you'd rather have the speed than maybe the bruising ability as, as kind of the lead off. And, and I, you know, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but if, if you, if they had to pick one, I think a lot of Penn state fans would, would pick Singleton. What, what would you say to anyone um, who would say that they'd pick him between the two and, and the importance of this two running back system to this team's success? I would just say, I mean, Catron Allen is, is phenomenal. Like Nick Singleton got a lot of the, I think preseason praise. He was on a lot of those watch lists that Catron was kind of snubbed for, which is potentially another reason why Franklin is just shouting him out for no reason. Catron Allen is very, very good at football. Like he is, I mean, he is tough. Um, he he's fast too, but I don't know. He's almost like a modern fullback in a way, a fullback that still gets touches because of the way that he just like throws his body out there. Like he is, and if you talk to him too, like the man is. I mean, he's not insane, but like, he's kind of insane, you know, like he is, he is out there to hurt people. Um, and he has repeated this every single week. We've talked to him. He wants to make people fear him. Like that's, that's what he's out there to do. Um, he is such a pure football player that I don't think comes around, you know, a lot. And he's really exciting to watch when he's able to say those things. Like I want people to fear me. And then he can tell when they, when they fear him, like he can sense the fear and he just goes out and like hits them. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's fun to watch. And, you know, if you've, if you've only heard of Nick Singleton to this point, that's all you really care about. Like it's time, it's time to learn about Catron Allen. Cause he also will be an NFL running back in a couple of years. Would you be surprised? I think, I think it sounds like you'd be surprised to find one of them in the tra- like a Devin Ford situation, find one of them in the transfer portal during this season. But would you be surprised going into the off season if, you know, a Catron Allen or Nick Singleton said, all right, like, you know, we've, I've been in the system for a couple of years, have had a couple of solid years, but I want to go somewhere where I can be the man and, and I can, you know, put up some huge numbers and maybe boost my draft stock into the first round. Cause we know how important that fifth year option is for running backs earning power in the NFL, right? Because if you get picked in the first round, you get an extra year before you get dragged into the contract mess um, that we've seen even with Saquon Barkley, who I think's you know, the, the best Penn State running back I've seen in my lifetime. Um, do you think one of those guys may want to be the man and lead a backfield and and make their statement to an NFL team um, separate from Penn State? Yeah, I mean, I can I can understand why, you know, in this era of college football, it, it might make sense um, for a guy like Catron Allen to enter the transfer portal. And, you know, if he's close to a thousand yards with Penn State, while splitting snaps, you know, how much 
could he have if he's the primary guy on another team? Like, I understand all that. Um, but at the same time, like, I think Penn State's making it work. You know, for a two-back system, they are getting their touches. You know, if, if Nick Singleton is scoring a hat trick, it says a lot that Katron Allen's also there rushing for over 100 yards and scoring his own touchdown. Um, I think it's similar. If you look back to Georgia a few years ago when they had that running back tandem um, with with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and and DeAndre Swift, um, you know that that was a very deep room and and even they made it work um, and it was for the betterment of the team. I feel like at the end of the day, and this is this is kind of repeated a lot, is your best chance of making it pro and having a long future and setting yourselves up for something is by making it to the playoff. The more you win, the more eyes you're going to have on yourself. So you don't just want to go to any program. If you can play, you can show it on film, but do it on a big stage and you'll have a better chance of being like an early draft pick. That's, I mean, that's my thought process. One thing that Audrey brought up in her uh, story as well today is that the Katron Allen simply hasn't gotten the same kind of NIL um, interest that Nicholas Singleton has because he hasn't been on those watch lists, um, you know, because he doesn't have that run in the Rose Bowl, I think, to kind of fall back on as, as a memory, you know, Penn State fans are going to have forever. Um, what would you say about how NIL factors into the situation? I believe Catron Allen said it's not a big deal to him. I guess, to what degree do you believe that? I think NIL probably is important to everyone right now, um, especially when your roommate, Nick Singleton, because they're roommates, especially when your roommate, Nick Singleton, is, you know, it seems like he's signing a deal every couple of weeks. Um, that man's probably making close to a million dollars this year, I'm going to project. Um, pretty close to Drew Aller, you know, in that regard. So it definitely makes a difference. And I don't think Katron Allen is making anywhere close to what Nick Singleton's making. But that's also because if you talk to him, I just don't know if he's like as marketable. Maybe he is. He's, but he's, he is a different type of person. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but yeah, I think it does make a difference. Like players want to make money. You know, that's a lot of the reason why, I mean, they love football, but at the same time, like you're trying to make the pros, you're trying to make millions of dollars and you want to make your share when you're in college. Um, so if you truly believe that you are one of the best players in college football and you see other players around the country that you think are less than you, you know, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna, you know, build a little bit of a little heat in your stomach. You know, you're, you're going to want to make some money and you think you deserve a little more. I think that's probably where he's coming from, but it's not going to say it publicly. I don't think anyone will. Let me ask you the question for you this way, Seth, in terms of how you feel about Katron. And there's only so many dollars. I think the Penn state fan base, you know, donor base can come up with through these NIL deals to kind of keep talent in house. How much of that would you be willing to allocate to to Katron Allen to keep him here next season? I, I don't know if it's going to come down to NIL. I mean, that's, it's hard to say because NIL is – it's so broad. You know, these numbers are thrown out and there are projections on certain sites, but, like, we don't really know how much money anyone's making. You know, we really don't. Like, we don't I, – I can project how much Nick Singleton's making. I can say maybe he's close to a million dollars, but, like – I don't, I don't know the exact amount, so it's hard for me to say, like, okay, Penn State needs to focus on finding NIL deals for Katron Allen so you can make this much to keep him away from, like, USC or something. It's, like, hard for me to say, but I don't know. I, I think on, its, on, its, on the basis, it's just, like, 
Penn State needs to improve in IAL. Every single star player on offense should have a lucrative deal that should keep them away from other top programs in the country. That's basically like that's how you're going to compete in college football for the next however many years in the NIL area. In the NIL era, my bad. Yeah, and I I think there's definitely a part of that too. You know, Penn State fans don't want to hear it, but you're you're going to have to come up with the big bucks for some of these guys. If you have a lot of talented players, you're going to have to put a lot of money into the roster in this era of NIL, and and that might be part of it as well. Seth, I want to get into a column that you wrote about scheduling FCS opponents in the Daily Collegian. Before we do, though, just want to shout out our sponsor here. Um, Voodoo Brewery State College. Enjoy world-renowned craft beer and delicious cocktails at Voodoo Brewing Company State College Pub, located off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street State College. BBC State College has something exciting going on every day of the week. Join them this fall on Mondays for weekly free play cornhole tournaments, or test your knowledge with pub trivia every Tuesday at 6. Wednesday is their game night featuring board board games, card games, and the Nintendo Switch. Every Thursday, your boy Dots hosts Bingo, and this isn't your Nana's Bingo. Saturday, they have the Nittany Lions and college football on, and every Sunday, they will have either the Steelers, the Eagles, or Red Zone on the screens. Thank you to Voodoo Brewery State College. Seth, you wrote in the Let's Be Frank feature on the Daily Collegian website. I'll include the link to that down in the description this week that Penn State should be scheduling an FCS opponent like Delaware every season noting that James Franklin you know, has pointed to the data and said um, every, I believe every college football playoff champion since two, Ohio State in 2014 has had an FCS team on their schedule. Um, what would you say to the argument that I think your argument boiled down to you get a look at a lot of players that you might not otherwise in playing an FCS game like they did Saturday against Delaware. You get some freshmen in the lineup. You get some second teamers in the lineup. You rest some of your first teamers, they don't have to play the whole game. Um, I think some of the defensive guys this week didn't even play a whole half, um, and, and that there's there's benefit to that. Some people might argue that you can do those same things against you know a Marshall or a Nevada um, teams that are coming up on Penn State's um, future schedules. What, what would you say to the argument that all things being equal, especially in a twelve team playoff era where you're you're resume is probably going to be compared to two or three other teams and not just maybe one um, and the difference between four and five, the difference between 12 and 13 and 14, you're going to have to try to stand out in some way. It is not playing a little bit of a better, you know, division one opponent, you know, one FBS opponent, maybe going to be the tiebreaker in some of these playoff discussions that we have in future seasons. I understand that argument. I think it's a good point. Um, it's just, you know, when you're playing in the Big Ten, like your schedule is going to be pretty good regardless. So if you're trying to make it, I think it's different with a 12-team playoff. Like if you go 11-1 and one while playing two of the Big Ten's best teams, like you're in. You know, if you go, and we'll see how it works, but if you go 10-2 and two while playing two of the Big Ten's best teams, if you have, you know, one or two pretty decent wins, I think, I think you're in. You know, we'll kind of see how that plays out. Um, my argument with with the FCS is just it doesn't make sense to me why if the SEC, which has won the last four national championships, is playing an FCS opponent every single year, what like why is why are Big Ten teams not doing that? That while playing a nine game conference schedule, the SEC already has eight, and you can make you know the argument about um, you know 
schedule schedule difficulties um, when it comes to conference play. I think the Big Ten's pretty good, um, but you know when it comes down to it, like the evidence and the data, like James Franklin said, it shows that national champions have played FCS teams in their schedule every single year since Ohio State in 2014, which was the first year of the playoff. So that's that's eight straight years of FCS opponents leading up to a national champion. I mean, if you're, if you're a program, why would you not, you know? Yeah. I, I think there's, there's arguments to be made both ways. Um, you know, I, I tend to think playing the better team probably helps you in those more marginal. I think you, you're right. 10 and two, 11 and one. I think you're getting into a 12 team playoff. Penn state has done that, shown the ability to do that. Um, you know, through much of the James Franklin era, I guess especially as we go into an expanded Big Ten where you have an Oregon, where you have a Washington, USC, UCLA. Let's say you play three or four of those teams in a year. You get Ohio State, Michigan, USC, and Oregon. I think that would be the worst draw you could probably get schedule-wise. And you go nine and three. And, you know, there's another nine and three SEC team that's right there with you. Um, I think that that could make the difference. Did you play an FCS team or not? I think the argument you're making is we're not so much worried about the difference here between 12 and 13. We're talking about how do you compete for national championships and it is in, is it in Penn state's best interests in terms of being a, you know, one, two, three, four seed to be having that, that week to build some depth and, and get out of it without any injuries. Yeah, that's absolutely a good point. I mean, and I think that kind of boils down to why you even schedule an FCS team and what the benefits are of that. Um, I think the most important thing of all, um, which is kind of what I was talking about before, is like it's basically a free win. You know, you can play an FBS team, maybe a low level FBS team, and it's still likely going to be better than that FCS opponent, um, which gives you less of an opportunity to put, you know, another check mark in the win column. Um, that aside, you know, when you blow out a team like Delaware the way that Penn State did, you know, you mentioned this too, is you rest a lot of guys and you get guys who probably wouldn't have played that much. You get them minutes early on. Um, so all of those things really help out. And I think especially could help out an expanded big 10. when, like you mentioned, you could potentially play, you know, Oregon, Washington, Ohio state, um, you know, USC all in like one year, depending on how the schedule turns out, you know, you're going to need your best guys rested up. Um, so if you schedule an FCS team early in the season, blow them out, press your legs, and, you know, it'll come in handy later. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that, you know, conventional wisdom unfolds as we're finally in that 12-team era and we get to see, you know, how the schedules play out and how that data starts to build. Penn State does have a lot more um, FBS opponents, you know, of group of five um, conferences on their schedule in future years than FCS. Will that stay the same? Will that change? I think it's going to be interesting to watch that. Uh, Seth, I wanted to ask you about some individuals here before we sign off today. Um, just some people who've been catching my eye, have been catching a lot of people's eyes in the data. Uh, Malik McLean has the offense's third best pro football focus score, um, only behind Drew Aller and Keandre Lambert-Smith. Trey Wallace has doubled him up in snaps. Do you see that at any point this season becoming a battle for that number two job? Um, or do you think there's a lot of belief in, in Trey Wallace, even if the pro football focus grade isn't necessarily there? Yeah, um, I mean, it's only been two games. I think McLean really impressed in that 
in that West Virginia game, but so did Trey Wallace. You know, uh, McLean had, you know, 58 yards and a touchdown. Um, and Trey Wallace had, he was in the 70s in receiving yards in that West Virginia game. Um, so it, it's kind of it's kind of hard to pin them against each other right now because they both played relatively well. Um, it's also hard to evaluate either performance from the Delaware game because most of the starters were taken off the field after two quarters. So, you know, McLean only had, you know, one reception for I think it was seven yards in that in that Delaware game, and he was done. Um, whereas he could have had opportunities against a better opponent in that second half. Um, I think McLean is is good. You know, I think he's really good. He's six foot four, but he moves like he's five eleven. Um, he's fast, he's shifty, he has good hands. I think rather than him competing for that number two spot, which I feel like Trey Wallace had pretty much locked up since the spring. Um, I, I think they could run some different sets and play him starter reps when they take out Liam Clifford in the slot. Um, and we'll see kind of how that works. But, you know, I think I think that number three spot still in, in heavy competition, as we've discussed since the summer. Um, and, and we'll see how it goes with them. Penn State reporters got Drew Aller on the conference call this week. Um, and then I know James Franklin talked about him and his maturation process. Uh, at, during his weekly news conference on Tuesday, what did you take away from those conversations, Seth, about you know where Drew Aller is and and um, you know how the coaching staff feels about the progress they've seen in his first two games as the starter going into his first road game and his first Big Ten road game this week at Illinois? I think they feel about as good as they can right now. You know that it's it's he's been playing well. You know the, I think. Of the worries we had, he really, you know, he looked he looked great against West Virginia. I think he didn't really throw the long ball against Delaware, but he was still pretty efficient. Um, I don't think there were really any scares that we saw in that West Virginia game. Um, I, I think he, he's doing well and he's doing what he can, and that's kind of how the coaching staff use it. It's really just a we'll see how it goes kind of basis with Drew Aller. Um, that's that's how it was during week one when we were trying to evaluate him and that and that in that episode and that's how it's going to be going into his first road test. Um, it's just you know we'll see how it goes. You know he's played in road atmospheres before. He played in Purdue um, when Sean Clifford got out you know last year in that season opener. And he looked pretty good. And he played in the Rose Bowl. Um, so he's not you know it's not like he's inexperienced there, but he just hasn't started a game and. And, and really finished one all on his own. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Dom DeLuke is another guy I wanted to talk a little bit about. He's actually the defense's highest graded player right now. He had that pick, pick six Saturday against Delaware. He also dropped another one. So he could have had two picks um, on Saturday. Where does he fit into this Penn State defense, former walk-on? Um, you know, do you expect him to have a growing role if he if he keeps stringing together performances like that, especially against um, you know the better teams Penn State's going to be facing in the coming weeks? Yeah, he's playing a lot. You know, whether it's on defense or special teams, Deluca's role is is growing. Um, you know, pretty pretty quickly. Um, he was named special teams captain this year, and he was also put on scholarship. You know, right after the Rose Bowl. Um, so it's been a, a pretty exciting couple months for him, but I think it, it's pretty deserved. Um, and what we've seen from DeLuca these first couple weeks, I don't think is really a surprise at all. Um, he, he's he's putting it all on the table there, whether it's on special teams, you know, donning that number zero jersey um, or on defense. You know, like he said, 
he almost had it, it wasn't just two interceptions you know he almost had two pick sixes um that one that was dropped was was very close to the end zone i think he could have brought that in um you know luckily for him he, he got another chance and and that one you know talked to him after the game and that one felt pretty good for him so i think his role is growing you know he is in that linebacker rotation he is not just a special teams guy or a feel-good story. Like, he's a good football player, and he's going to continue to play. I wanted to ask you about some of the freshmen as well. We got a chance to see some of them. I think King Mack impressed a lot of people. Tony Rojas was out there. Um, I think James Franklin was also asked about Jameel Lyons. Um, What did you see from those freshmen this week? You know, of course, it's just Delaware, um, but, you know, they're just recently on campus, so it's, it's good to see them do well you know, against anyone, I think, at the stages of their, of their career. Um, so what, what were your thoughts on those three, and was there anyone else who stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, going back to the FCS thing and why you schedule, you know, those types of opponents, Penn State was able to play, by my count, 15 true freshmen on Saturday, which is uh, it's pretty unbelievable. You know, I can't I can't think of the last time that's, that's happened in a game for them. 15 is a lot. Um, so to get them that experience is great. Um, they already have some guys who are green lit and they, that was their second game. They already got the experience against West Virginia. King Mac, like you mentioned, is, is one of them. Um, teammates and coaches have raved about him. He's just one of those guys that has stepped in here. Um, and really just, he just looks more advanced than the others. Um, we've seen it before. I think Kalen King was a guy like that in the secondary, um, was just a guy who stood out immediately. When it's like, okay, there are a lot of these freshmen who are adjusting, and then there's another guy who just, you know, he, he's he's just comfortable. And King Max like that. Uh, Zion Tracy, a corner, is like that as well. Tony Rojas, linebacker, and then Elliot Washington. Um, he is a corner that I actually mentioned in an earlier episode to look out for. He's played in both games as well. So all those guys are, you know, well on their way to burning their red shirts. Um and, and they've impressed, you know, they have, um, as for the other freshmen haven't seen too much outside of, uh, you know, the end of that Delaware game, but Jameel Lyons, I mean, that's a Philly kid and he picked up his first sack and it was, it, it was pretty great. If you haven't seen the video of, of his sack, you should, you should check that out for sure because he, you know, demolished him and that was an 18 year old kid doing that. So, you know, high hopes. Yeah, I, I was I was in the stands for that one. I said, "Oh, I you don't see you don't see clean hits on quarterbacks that you know that don't get flagged." And it was it was clean. It was hard. Um, you don't see you don't see a lot of guys get cracked like that in this era of college football. Seth, I want to get into Illinois with you a little bit here. Last week, I said, "Hey, are you, are you worried at all about this? You know, Brett Bielema offense plowing ahead in, against the, this possibly softer Penn State interior?" And you said flatly, "No." Uh, Kansas went out, laid an egg for most of the game. They were coming back at the end against Kansas. But for the first three quarters of that game, they looked pretty bad. They can't protect um, their quarterback very well. I think he's already taken eight sacks. But he's also pretty um, mobile. We're, we're, what do you think we're going to see from this team? Is, is, is this a team you want to see Penn State's front go out and dominate and get home in a way they didn't necessarily get home against Garrett Green in West Virginia? Yeah, this is – I mean, Illinois is an interesting opponent. I think it's a program that's struggling. Um, I think that they were hyped up a little more than they probably should have this year. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, this is this is a test. It's a Big Ten opponent on the road, um, which Drew Aller has, you know, never started a game for. And I think they're honestly a team that's built relatively similarly to to West Virginia, probably a little better on the defensive end. Um, I think they're they're probably stronger in the trenches as well. Um, but their offensive scheme is pretty similar, you know, where you have Garrett Green, you know, leaving the pocket pretty much every snap. That's going to be a pretty similar thing with with Illinois and and, and Luke Altmeyer, um, who I believe he, he had a 72 yard rush against Kansas. Um, you know, so, so that's something to look out for. And, you know, how Penn State corrects its wrongs from week one and is able to, you know, have another crack at it with Illinois. Um, but then another guy to look for on the offensive end is, is Isaiah Williams, um, their wide receiver. You know, if, if you can lock him down, this might be the first true test for for Kalen King, um, locking down, you know, an actual, you know, really talented number one receiver. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And um, it'll also be just a good test, I think, a little bit before Michigan and Ohio State, how, you know, Penn State's O-line and D-line can uh, can stack up against you know, a pretty legitimate, you know, trench, you know, on both sides of the ball. Isaiah, don't call him Juice Williams. Uh, Seth, any final thoughts for the week before we sign off? No, I think that's about it. I mean, I'm, I'm going down to Illinois on, on Friday. I'm trying to leave earlier than, rather than later because I think it's like a nine-and-a-half-hour drive. But I'm looking forward to getting back to my home state. It, it was a brutal drive when I did that in college. Uh, we it was it was the famous uh, Mike Mowdy game against Illinois and Tim Beckman, who had recruited a whole bunch of uh, Penn State players after the, the Sandusky scandal. Mike Mowdy went crazy, um, but it was a long drive to get there. And people forget it's an 11 a.m. game because you're in Central Time, so that'll be an early morning call for you, Seth. So safe travels, and we will talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Thank you, Adam. Take care, everyone. Please stay tuned later today. North Shore Drive, Christopher Carter going to be doing more of breaking down the disaster that was Steelers versus 49ers. Make sure you're signed up for that. Uh, take care, everyone. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.